0: Hey, everybody. This is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Welcome back, everyone. This is Jim, and you're listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast, and this is the podcast where I talk about overcoming the tests and trials of life uh, through faith, through praying, through uh, turning your focus away from all of the things that are um, causing you fear and depression and confusion, and instead putting your focus on uh, God, on Jesus, on the Holy Spirit, on the on God's Word—that all of the things that will lift you up from the inside, that will encourage you, that will help you see um, the the light that's in the dark places—and a lot of the things that I share on this podcast. They're very simple and a lot of people have heard them before, but it's so important, I know from my own experience, to continuously be put in remembrance of the truth because you're not hearing it in the media, you're not hearing it with uh, maybe your your friends or your family, uh, you're not hearing it on social media or, or other places like that. What you're hearing is are people rehearsing what's actually happening in their Current lives, what's happening in the world, and uh, and basically it's it's reporting on all the negative. It's reporting on all the problems, and all although all those things are true, we don't realize how often we rehearse um, things that don't glorify God, but just glorify the devil, the Satan, demons, evil spirits, the curse that's in the earth since Adam fell, and. We talk about and we rehearse all of those things over and over again. We talk about sickness and we talk about pains and and we talk about problems. And, and you know, at first glance, you might think, well, I mean, we have to talk about some of these things because we're communicating with people. We're trying to get a handle on these things. And, and I'm not saying that we don't mention these things at all. But what I'm saying is that uh, we don't put an emphasis on the things that the Bible puts an emphasis on a lot of times. We want to get Bible-based results, but we have to do it in, in a way that, that God, let's put it this way, there are principles that we violate so much, and we've done it for so long that we don't even realize we're doing it anymore. And one of those things has to do with the things that we talk about, what we think about, uh, the things we, we, we vocalize. You know, the Bible says a lot about the spoken word, so much so that it says that in uh, Jesus said you know in, in the day of judgment man shall give account of every idle word that he's spoken and when you think about something like that you know it, it's good to know that uh, thank God we're under um, those who believe are under grace God's unearned favor because if we have if we had to earn it by watching our mouths by watching our tongues I mean uh, again we, we we stumble in this area all time the time, and so you may say, well, even you saying it that we do it all the time isn't good. Well, let me let me stop there and put the bookmark in that then, and and let's look at the at the positive, the life-giving side of what we call the spoken word or what we say. Now, what we think is really closely connected to what we say because the two go hand in hand. We talk about the things that we're thinking about, so in order to change what you say, you have to change what, you, what you're what you thinking about. And we think about the things that we see, and we think about the things that we hear. So, for example, if I said, um, this big, black, wet dog <laughs> ran across the lawn this morning barking at 5 a.m. and woke me up, <clears throat> 6 a.m., woke me up. And when I say that, you can't help but at least get a flash of an image of a big black dog. Maybe some of you see a, a Labrador, or maybe some of you see a different kind of do, uh, dog. Maybe you see a long tail or a short tail, but the, the point is is that you can't help think about it once I say it. And, and this is just a, a, just a silly little illustration. Now, if somebody stops and starts talking to you about um, whatever it is, you, again, th- those thoughts come back to you. So Um, you have to realize and first recognize that the power that these things have. So one of the the scriptures that um, you've probably heard it time and time again, it it depends what type of, um, it depends where your focus has been as far as the Bible goes, but Proverbs 18.21 is a scripture that I've quoted from quite a few times, and it says that death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it will eat its fruit. So let me let me just go there in, in my Bible. Hold on a second here. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those that love it will eat its fruit. This is the New King James Version I'm reading. So, in other words, um, think about that word that we're in the power of the tongue. Well, sometimes if you read that, and, and let's let's actually go to the verse before that. It says, A man's stomach shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, from the produce of his lips shall he be filled. And then it goes on and says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those that love it will eat its fruit. Well, th- think about this for a minute. Your natural mind, when you see that kind of would look at that in some cases like it's almost like a line of prose or a line of poetry you know we know that literally we don't talk and then suddenly we're satisfied like we just sat down and we had breakfast lunch or dinner right we, we don't we don't speak words and then suddenly we're full you know we don't have to eat today so obviously there it's it's an illustration that's being given that's that's showing a higher truth it's almost think of it this way. God often speaks using picture language. And I like the fact that he does it because um, if you think about the things that Jesus talked about, how the kingdom of God worked, uh, how the seed is planted and how it's waters and how it's grown and how it produces 30, 60 and 100 fold in return, or how some seed, you know, it falls by the wayside and the birds of the air come down, they eat it and doesn't produce anything. And then other seeds fall on this shallow ground and the roots don't grow deep enough. And so the sun uh, burns them up and, and they die. And, you know, when we look at things like that, Jesus was talking about those things like in, in parable form. And then the disciples would come to him afterwards sometimes and say, what did, what did you mean by that? Other times he would just say, this is what that means. So when we look at these scriptures, recognize it's the same spirit talking here that's talking everywhere else in the Bible. And so, rather than just say things plainly, remember some at that one point in the book of John, uh, Gospel of John, um, he spoke to them plainly, and the disciples said, "Well, now you're speaking to us plainly. Why didn't he speak to them plainly?" Think about that. For some reason, I believe that if he didn't, if he spoke just plainly like we talk to one another, this is what, this is how this works: A, B, C, D. Two plus two equals four. Um, the the scriptural principle, um, seek and you shall find. Seek God while he may be found. Those principles, we wouldn't do that. We would actually take the truth and we would work it like we work a textbook. There would be no personal connection. See, the, the goal here is for you to strengthen your connection with God, to strengthen your relationship with him. And it takes seeking to do that. Do you know why? Because we're dealing with things that we can't see, things that we can't touch, things that we can't take a, a, a picture of with, with our cell phone, right? We're, we're dealing with God who is invisible to the, to the eye. But, you know, there will be a day that will come that we will see face to face. The Bible says now we see through a glass darkly, but then we will see face to face. Then we will know even as we're known now. And so without faith, it's impossible to please God for the people that, that come to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Without the diligently seeking, you don't have that heaven that have reality in your life. You don't have the blessings of God in um, the way you deep down inside know they can be. I think each of us know that we can be enjoying life today, right now, on a higher level. What, what does that mean? I, I just mean that there's something about being and, and doing the right things, having the right kind of heart attitude, being closer to God that transforms everything. <clears throat> and if you get a piece of that, I think deep down on the inside, you you recognize, your spirit recognizes because you have God's Spirit telling you this that there's more for you. There's something better than what you have right now. So when we look at these scriptures. A man's stomach shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth. The fruit of his mouth, we're talking about good, positive things, speaking blessings, magnifying God, talking about all the things that God has promised, talking faith instead of fear, uh, talking um, uh, safety and rest instead of fear and unrest. Those things, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those that love it will eat its fruit. Now think about that. If you're talking about sickness and disease and world problems and you're talking about um, how people lie all the time and how everything is not, not any good or not as good as it was before and how all of these bad things, all those things may be reality. But the more you rehearse them, the more you speak about them, the more power in a negative sense you're releasing into your life and into sometimes the lives of the people around you. And then you begin to, those things begin to grow fruit in a negative sense. Now, I'm not saying that if you speak negatively, you know, you'll you'll probably wind up killing yourself, uh, you know, a few years from now. I'm just saying that the principle is there. What you read into it, I don't even want to read that much into it, you know, beyond what I'm saying right now. It says what it does. The Holy Spirit said death and life. He could have, he could have said something else. Could have put it another way. We decided to put it that way and and that's the imagery that God decided to leave you with for a reason so that you would take it seriously right blessing and cursing death and life all those things are in the power of the tongue now if you go over to the new testament uh, the book of revelation 12:11 it says there that they the saints overcame satan overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony now there we see another scripture that talks about the spoken word. They overcame by two things, not just one. They overcame because of what Jesus did for them. And that's a great thing. If it just said they overcame by the blood of the lamb, what would we be left with? We would be left with the thought that, wow, thank God by the grace of God, um, I believe and and I believe in Jesus and I, I believe in the word of God and and... That's all it's going to take to overcome. But it says they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So it would be like saying, you know what, uh, this fighter uh, won his last fight, the toughest fight of his life, um, due to his good conditioning and a powerful right hand. Right, the guy won. The guy won the boxing match due to two things. He he won it due to being in great condition. Enabled him to just keep on keeping on in the later rounds, and a really powerful right hand. Right, so that's saying that, well, if he had a good right hand but didn't have good conditioning, he probably won to one. Or if he had good conditioning and didn't have a right hand, he probably won to one either. He won because he had both. So when you look at this scripture and it says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Well, what's their testimony? Your testimony reflects what God. Has and is doing in your life, right? Now, if you turn around and say, "If I say what well, you know, what is God doing in your life?" Well, you know, sometimes you have to testify based on what's happened in the past. If nothing good's happening right now, you know, the Israelites would do that. They would talk about. If you ever read um, in the Psalms how the different psalmists sometimes refer back to all of the great things God has done in the past. The reason why they did that is because nothing positive was happening in the present, so they would talk about that. So even if you can't point to anything big that's happened in your life that God did for you in the past, you still can testify of it, and you can testify to all of the things that the scriptures say. Read the book of Psalms and t- and look at all of the blessings that are there. Read the book of Galatians. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. I mean, there are so many promises. In the Bible, there's so many positive statements there. Um, I'm saved by grace through faith, that not of myself, it's the gift of God. There's something to be thankful for. There's something to testify about. You give a testimony. My sins are forgiven. Why? Because I believe in Jesus. That's just a simple testimony. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Uh, In the book of Ephesians, we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. As he is, so are we in this world uh, letters of John. So you, you begin to say all these things and it says that you overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. Well, you might think, well, how does just testifying help me? How does saying that, those words out into the air make a practical difference in my life right now? Where I'm at today, again, a man's stomach, woman's too, right? Mankind, man or, whoa, man. <laughs> a man's stomach, shall be satisfied by the fruit of his mouth and by the produce of his lips. So when you're testifying, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those that love it will eat its fruit. How does, how does salvation work? If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation." Right? If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father, which is in heaven. With the heart man believes, and with the mouth confession is made un- unto salvation. So again, two things, heart, mouth. Two things, book of Revelation, blood of the Lamb, word of testimony. So, so you can see why that if you're speaking just what's happening, thinking you're just like reporting the news. Hey, what's happening in your life? Well, maybe you shouldn't talk about certain things, especially if you've prayed about them already. Maybe you shouldn't talk about what's happening. Maybe you should talk about a higher truth. Like, well, yeah. Somebody says, hey, are you still struggling with that? Are you still struggling in that area? Well, outwardly, it might seem like it, but I've prayed and and thank God I've got the answer. Right? what things so ever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive it not when you receive it, believe you receive it. When you pray, believe you receive it and you'll have it. Right? Luke 18, one. men are always, uh, are always to pray and not to faint, not to give up. Follow those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Hebrews chapter 10. So all of these things go together. Now let's, here's a, here is a really, I'm going to give you two more examples that are really, really good. First, our second Kings chapter um four verse number eight this is the the story of the woman who um helped Elijah I don't know if I'm gonna read through all of it but um l- let me just tell you the gist of the story look at actually should, <laughs> I, I was just gonna ask a question as though an answer is going to come through my microphone uh do you want me to read it let's let's just read it let me read it Um, second Kings chapter four, excuse me, starting in verse number eight. It says there, uh, and it fell on a day that Elisha passed to, uh, Shunem where there, where was a great woman. I think I said Elijah before. meant to say Elisha. Elisha the second. The the second great prophet. Remember Elijah got caught up into heaven. And he left his, uh, threw down his mantle when he left and Elisha picked it up. So it fell on that day that Elisha passed to Shunem and where was a great woman and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as off as he passed by, he turned in tither to eat bread. Okay, so this is American King James version. So maybe tither is a little bit vague to you. So let's let's do this in the, um, I'll, let me just use a, a simple contemporary English version Bible, because this is just the story. You have to understand the principle here. Okay. So um, uh, he met a rich woman who invited into her home for dinner. After that, whenever he was in Shunem, he would have a meal there with her and her husband. Sometime later, the woman said to her husband, I'm sure the man of God who comes here so often is a prophet of God. Why don't we build him a small room on the flat roof of our house and we can put uh, a bed, a table, a chair, and an oil lamp in it. Whenever he comes, he can stay with us. So then here in verse number 11, it says, hold on, let me just scroll down a little bit. Next time Elijah was in Shunem. he stopped at their house and went up to his room to rest. And he said to his servant Gehazi, this woman's been very helpful. Have her come up here to the roof for a moment. Uh, She came and Elijah uh, told Gehazi, Uh, to say to her, you've gone through a lot of trouble for us and we want to help you. Is there something um, we can request the king or the army or the commander to do? Um, The woman answered, with my relatives nearby, I have everything that I need. Then what can we do for her? Elijah asked Gehazi. Gehazi replied, I do know that her husband is old and that she doesn't have a son. So he says, ask her to come here, Elijah told his servant. He called for her, and she came and stood in the doorway of Elijah's room. Elijah said to her, now here's the principle. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, remember Mark eleven twenty-three, 23, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but the leaves of things he say will come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith." There's an element of prophecy in here because Elijah says to her, keeping that principle in mind, Next year, at this time, you will be holding your own baby son in your arms. Think about that. Now, he wasn't trying to believe that, but obviously, God gave him the faith to make that statement. See, there's something about having the faith, and there's something about fighting the good fight of faith so that you can get there. Right? Sometimes it's just hard to believe certain things. That's why Jesus said, Men ought always to pray and not to faint and give up. So you see here that Elijah's not struggling to make this statement, right? There's no straining. There's no, in other words, the belief was already there for it. Maybe he didn't even know what he was going to say before she made that statement or uh, before Gehazi told him. But anyway, he had assurance in his heart that what he said would come to pass. So he says, next year, this time you'll be holding your own baby son in your arms. And her reply was, you're a man of God, the woman replied, please don't lie to me. But a few months later, the woman got pregnant, she gave birth to a son, and just as Elijah had promised. And then it goes on here, and it gives the illustration how the boy was working one day, he was still young, working out in the fields with his father, and suddenly he said, my head hurts, it hurts a lot. And uh, the story goes that he winds up uh, dying. And the woman, verse 21, carries him upstairs to Elijah's room, lays him across the bed. And it says, then she walked out and shut the door behind her. The woman called to her husband, I need to see the prophet. Let me use one of the donkeys, send a servant along with me and let and leave me now so I can get back quickly. And then it goes on to say, why do you need to see him today? Her husband asked, it's not the Sabbath or the time of the new moon festival. That's all right, she answered. Now, why didn't she just say, why didn't she just say, hey, our son is dying, or he may already be dead. That's why I need to see him today. She didn't say anything. She just said, that's all right. Then it says, she, obviously she knew this principle, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And she, she believed it, that principle was so powerful that she wouldn't say it. She wouldn't talk about the problem how different that is from us today. Verse 24, she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, let's go and don't slow down unless I tell you to. Once uh, She left at once for Mount Carmel to talk with Elijah. And when Elijah saw her coming, he said, Gehazi, look, it's the woman from Shunem. Run and meet her and ask her if everything's all right with her and her family. Everything is fine, she answered Gehazi. So get the picture. He sees her from afar off coming. He's never seen her probably in that area before, only when he passes her area by. So the fact that she's coming to see him means something's wrong in his mind. So he doesn't even wait for her to get there. He sends a servant out. And as and then it says, what was her reply? Everything is fine, she answered. Obviously everything wasn't fine. Her son was uh, either dying or dead back at home. Remember, he collapsed in the field. There was pain in his head. But it says in verse 27, but as soon as she got to the top of the mountain, she went over and grabbed Elijah by the feet. Gehazi started uh, toward her to push her away, and Elijah said, leave her alone. Don't you see how old she is? But the Lord hasn't told me why. In other words, God hasn't said what was wrong. The woman said, sir, I beg you, I begged you not to get my hopes up. I didn't even ask you for a son. Think about that. Sir, I begged you not to get... It's almost like saying hey, you know what? I won the lottery and now I'm bankrupt a year later. You know, yes, you what I want? I won the lottery and something happened. I lost all my money. Maybe that's a bad illustration. Maybe um, we just look at it like this. I asked for this blessing and it was taken from me. You know, why did you even give it to me if it was going to be taken from me so soon? But as soon as she got to the top of the mountain, she went over to grab Elijah by the feet. And um, Elijah, or excuse me, Gehazi says, hey, what are you doing? and and elisha respo- elisha responds and says leave her alone. So she makes this statement and then he says verse 29 Gehazi get ready and go to her house. Elisha said take along my walking stick and when you get there lay it on the boy's face. So obviously he knows he knows that something terrible has happened to the boy. And um Don't stop and talk to anyone, even if they try and talk to you. Verse 30. But the boy's mother said to Elijah, I swear by the living God and by your own life that I won't leave without you. So Elijah got up and went with them. Gehazi ran uh, on ahead and laid the walking stick on the boy's face, but the boy didn't move or make a sound. And Gehazi ran back to Elijah and said, the boy didn't wake up. Elijah arrived at the woman's house, went straight to the room where he saw the boy's body on the bed. He walked in and shut the door and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and stretched out his, uh, over the dead body with his mouth on the boy's mouth, his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. He laid, as he lay there, the body became warm. Some, somebody may seem, well, say, well, you know, why, why did he do that? Well, that's like saying, you know, why did the Jesus make mud of the clay and put on the man's eyes that one time? And he didn't do that again after that. You know, why did Naaman the Syrian dip in the water, um, Three times to get healed of his leprosy, but yet when Jesus healed people of leprosy, it looks like he just laid hands on them or touched them. You know, why did he tell the lepers to go show their hand, uh, selves to the priest? Uh, I, I mean, we could ask why. Why was it done with this method all the time? But we know that all of these things, the power of God flows through through faith, and certain times, certain actions motive, motivate your faith differently than other times. The uh, Israelites marched around the wall of Jericho. They did that and the walls fell down. But they didn't repeat that the next time. You know, they, 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 these things happen one time. Not to say that it couldn't happen twice or three times, but I'm saying that people are looking for a formula. You know why? Because it's easier taking a formula and walking away with it and doing it on your own. Sometimes than it is looking to God as, as a individual, like we look to a person trusting someone. It's easier to trust a process than it is a person. Let's put it that way. Think about it. Isn't it easier to trust a process than trust a person? You know, Sometimes you have more faith in the process than you do in yourself. But the thing here is that faith creates the actions. The actions don't necessarily create faith. That's sometimes where we miss it. New Testament says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Actually, God heard uh, Elisha must have heard him speak in, in his heart. Maybe he heard an audible voice. The Bible doesn't tell us, but we major on the minor, trying to look and, and reproduce certain things by going through certain actions. Right? But that's just religion. Think about it. You know, I remember hearing, uh, probably about a week ago, uh, somebody tell the story about how they were listening to a preacher and they were talking about uh, giving a, a seed offering of $237, I think it was, (coughs) excuse me, and how um, God had given him a financial anointing. Well, here's the thing. When you read, when you hear things like that, or you read things like that, you got to ask yourself the question, is, is that in the Bible? Does does God tell us to uh, write a financial gift of a certain amount out to, to break the powers of, of darkness? Now, the reason why I'm putting that out there is to say, um, maybe that would motivate a person's faith. But if you look at that as like, this is the formula, you know, I I put a financial gift out and this is the way I do it. You know, we don't see that in the Bible. You know, now I know there's scriptures that certain people take and they say, this is why we believe that because Jesus said this and they take it out of that context and they put it in their own. Well, and again, here's, here's the thing that, if you're going to base your faith on something you, you, you don't want to base it on somebody else's experience you want to base it on what God's on God's word on chapter and verse that's what you want to base it on and I'm not saying this to be legalistic about it what I'm saying it is it keeps you out of getting into error so if, if somebody is talking from a podium think about this if you're struggling financially I mean you're really struggling and uh, somebody's speaking from a podium and they're talking about all of the people that Uh, had a miracle turnaround in their life once they gave $237. And you emotionally engage with that. And they tell story after story. This person was struggling. I mean, their car wouldn't work. They had to walk to work or take the bus to work. And, And they were, you know, going to be evicted from their place. And they gave this $237. And then it happened. And you start thinking about your own situation. You might think to yourself, well, what do I have to lose? But let me tell you something. That response is not faith. Or maybe they get that emotional charge. Their head tells them that. You know, well, this person has an anointing that I don't have. Well, according to the Bible, we're all kings and priests in Christ Jesus. We all have the same righteousness. That man or that woman doesn't isn't any more righteous than you. Even if their works are different, that doesn't change their level of righteousness because it's Jesus's level that we have. We're all seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There is only one righteousness of God, not several. Think about that. Now, the ministry gifts, they're, they're given to us pastors, prophets, preachers, teachers, the ministry gifts evangelists, um, they're given to us to to edify you, to build you up, not not to lead, not to dominate you. Matter of fact, Paul said once that they were in need. You know, they, they needed provisions for their life. They needed food and shelter and all of those other things that people need today. But he said, rather than being a burden to those people because they were poor, because they were struggling, we're going to work with our own hands. Think about that. That would be like the, and, and again, I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm just trying to put the o- other side, the opposite side of the spectrum out there for you to consider. Uh, that would be the equivalent of a pastor today say, telling a poor congregation, I understand that you're all poor and everything, and you know we need some more money uh, for the church. So I'm going to go and work with my own hands. I'm going to take a part-time job You know to make ends meet. And that's what they did. In the Bible, that was the example they set. They worked with their own hands so they wouldn't be a burden on the people. Now think of that today. Isn't that just like God? (laughs) Right? You do what you can do. God loves a cheerful giver, not one that gives of compulsion or one of necessity. Well, what does necessity mean? Necessity means you have to do it. In other words, you gotta give that two hundred and thirty-seven dollars or else the curse is just gonna overwhelm you. You're not strong enough, you don't have enough faith, but this man does. And if you want it to work for you, you're going to open up your pocketbook, so to speak. You're going to write that check out or swipe that credit card, and you're going to give $237. You don't see that in the Bible. You know, So sometimes take people take the, the principles, and then they build something that they want on top of it. Right? And all these people will have to answer in that day for manipulation, manipulating God's people. God sees you know the bible says that me, not many of you ought to be teachers knowing that pe- teachers people that teach god's word will receive a stricter judgment why because people look up to teachers they look up to them for encouragement and guidance and you know when you're you're young spiritually speaking you have more faith it's just like a child and a parent when you have a spiritual parent you have more faith in that person than you do probably yourself right, and what that person says. If that person says it's so, then you really probably, now it must be so because I trust that person. They have a better relationship with God than I do. But the idea here is that your relationship, you don't, there's no high priest besides Jesus between you and God. Not a pastor, not someone with a special anointing, none of those things. Right, that's what the Bible says. You, You are a king and a priest, so you have to begin to grow up and you have to start using your own faith, developing your own faith, so I became a believer way back in 1986. So it's been a long time, and I've, I've I've watched people go through these phases. I've seen these different phases come through the church world, and uh, a lot of things are just um, maybe depending on where you live. You know, they're American tradition. It's the American church does it that way, or the English church does it that way, or the Australian church does it that way. You know, they're just man-made things in the Bible. I mean, that's what whole religion was based on. Just a man-made... There's entire churches that are just man-made ways of doing things. But Jesus told, like Jesus told the Pharisees, by your traditions, you've made the word of God of none effect. So if you're having no effect in your personal experience, then there's probably some tradition in there that's just watering it down. You know, one of the strongest ones I know of is... If you don't see an answer, if you're praying and you don't see an answer, you're not experiencing what you want to experience, uh, very seldom do we default to men always ought to pray and not to faint, right? Why would Jesus even say that? Because he knew that things usually don't happen in a minute or a second or even a day sometimes, that it takes time. I know absolutely certain, certain things you need an answer. It's now or never, but a lot of things aren't that way. There's a reason why the Bible says, "Be followers of them who, through faith and patience, or faith and perseverance, inherit the promises." Right? There's a reason why there's scriptures that say you have need of patience, that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. And we know that what what is God's will, that you pray and not faint. So, let's look at another uh, scripture, uh, Luke chapter. One verse twenty, and then that'll be it. I want to keep this short. I'm not even sure how long I've been talking. Let's see here, 34 minutes. This last one um, will really bring everything I think I've said so far together. You remember Zechariah was the um, in the the group of priests. You know, he was serving as the high priest, I, I believe, that year uh, that John the Baptist was uh, born or conceived. And and so um, you know the angel of the Lord in Luke chapter one appears to him when he was in the um, in the temple, and it says here in verse thirteen. But the angel of the Lord told him, "Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayers. Your wife Elizabeth will have a son, and you must name him John. His birth will make you very happy, and many people will be glad. Your son will be a great servant of the Lord." He must never drink wine or beer, and the power of the Holy Spirit will be with him from the time he is born. So there was a special ministry for him, right? And what was his ministry? His ministry was announcing the coming of Jesus. Jesus said there was never somebody had a greater ministry than he did, right? Because of the message. You know, he he made the way for Jesus, It says, John will lead many people in Israel to turn back to the Lord, their God, right? He paved the way. He will go ahead of the Lord with the same power and spirit that Elijah had. And because of John, parents will be more thoughtful of their children and people who now disobey God will begin to think as they ought to. That is how John will get people ready for the Lord. This is the um, uh, contemporary English version. All right, let's, let's, uh, switch back to King James in verse 18 now. And Zechariah said to the angel, whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well stricken in years. So notice the first thing that he said was, was how's this going to work? It wasn't, thank you, Lord, it, falling down on the knees and thankfulness and praise. You know, it, it wasn't, you know, let it be to me according to your word, like Mary said, when the angel appeared to her. It was doubt and unbelief. Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man. Well, he was an old man that was well-schooled in God's word. He knew the story of Abraham and how in his old age, but yet unbelief was was what, what we see here. And my wife is well-stricken in years. But what would you say? You know, or oh, wow, I'm going to be just like Abraham. <laughs> or would you say, I'm sorry, but my physical body, how am I going to do this when my physical body is no longer capable and neither is my wife's? Look, Listen to the response here, verse number 19. And the angel of the Lord answered him and said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God, and I am sent to speak unto thee and to show you these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things have been performed, because thou believest not my words." which shall be fulfilled in their season. And you know the rest of the story. He came out of there mute. He couldn't talk. He had to write things down on a piece of paper. What does it say here again? Thou shalt be dumb and not be able to speak until the day that these things have been performed. In other words, until the performance has been complete, you're not going to be able to talk. That sounds a lot like death and life are in the power of the tongue. They that love it will eat its fruit. It sounds a lot like the woman not telling her husband, that their son was either dying or dead upstairs. That sounds a lot like the woman when she came and saw Gehazi. Instead of saying, my my son is at home dead, instead of coming right out with the tr- with what we would say the truth, she refused to talk and give voice or vocalize the negative thing that had happened. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. What did he do? What did Zacharias do? He does what a lot of us did might do today right? Because we don't take that literally, right? Because we know if we say something, somebody doesn't fall over next to us or we don't fall d- down dead. But the, but the principle is, is so clear. He wasn't able to speak. You can see it maybe clearer than any other part in the Bible in James chapter three, verse number six, where it talks about the power of the tongue. It, and there in chapter three, verse number six, it says, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members. It defiles the whole body. And it sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on the fire of hell. Think about that. What's nature? Nature's natural things, right? It sets on fire. It's like a kindling. It's like striking the match. And a lot of times it's, think about it like a long, long line of dominoes. We say things and we knock that first domino over and we don't realize the effect that it has because we walk off and we focus on other things. So what I'm presenting to you here is rather than me tell you, um, it, this is exactly why every situation is the way it is, rather than give you a formula and say, hey, if you do it like this, this is how I did it, what I'm saying is if you embrace this this principle and this truth in your life going forward, stop speaking negative, doubt, fear, curse. If you have to communicate to somebody, think about how in a severe situation that woman said it is well when it, visibly it wasn't. You can say it is well if you've prayed. You can say it is well if you're trusting God. You don't have to go into details of every horrific thing which is happening. And if you need help, if you need support, get it from somebody who has strong faith, not somebody who has strong doubt, not who some who not from somebody who getting an answer to prayer would be like as amazing as hitting the lottery. We're not, you, got, you have to really think this through because I believe that one of the reasons why uh, people who believe struggle so much is because of this principle. Because from the fruit of our lips, we're, we're, we're hitting that first domino, we're striking the match, and, and we're burning up the blessings of God. We're actually pushing them away. We're not even conscious of it because we're ignorant to the point that we just think, well, I'm just being truthful. And it's there's something habitual about negativity. It's almost like a drug, you know. Talking about all the bad stuff, there's a slight sense of satisfaction there on on some kind of level that's deep, uh, difficult to put into words, right? It makes us feel good for a second, but it's kind of like it's like alcohol, right? You have a good time that night, but the next day you pay for it. I believe the tongue is just like that. I believe it's just like that. And so I'm not saying that you're going to yet to talk a certain way, call yourself blessed, go over these uh, scriptures, speak life instead of death, because we already know that. If I just tell you to do that, you probably just do it for a day or two. Maybe if you're really committed, you do it for a week. I'm saying in order for this to really transform your life, you're probably going to have to really sit down and carefully consider whether you're willing to commit to a life change for this, literally to commit the rest of your life around this principle, to start speaking life and deaths, to start speaking blessing instead of cursing, to start speaking faith instead of fear. Because it's going to take every part of you to do this. It's going to take every bit of what you have on the inside of you to speak more positive than you do negative. But the Bible promises that if you do, you'll see the fruit thereof. So what I'm saying is, this will change your whole prayer life, and I'm not saying it because um, this is my opinion or this is the doctrine that I was taught. I'm I'm saying it because we see example after example of it here in the Bible. I've gave you I gave you a bunch of them today. So anyway, I'm sure that um, you all know the people that can benefit from hearing this. Again, it won't. You have to be a doer of it, not just a hearer of it. Hearing makes you feel good, but then you just forget and go on to something else. I'm going to put you in remembrance of it. <laughs> As I've done today, I'll do it again. But uh, if this uh, message, if what I've shared has really helped you, I just encourage you to share this with somebody else. Share this podcast. Share the link, and uh, and it can help them too. Okay, so let me take a minute now and and sum up what I've been talking about today from a practical standpoint. So if I think about some of the conversations that I have with people during the day. I'm talking about the negative side of things. And and again, death and life are in the power of the tongue. It's put that way for a reason so that you don't just brush it off or, or look at it as though it's really not as important as it really is. Because again, we don't see when we say something negative, like the sky suddenly turned dark and thunder and lightning, and it's not that obvious. But even though it's not that obvious, that doesn't mean that it's not critical. So you think about the things that people talk about during the day, maybe their aches and their pains. And, and then when they talk about their aches and pains, maybe over a period of time, people begin to ask them, oh, how's your bad back doing? Or how's your knee doing? And then the whole conversation, again, is really around what the Bible calls death, not life. It doesn't magnify God. It doesn't magnify the work of Jesus. And I'm not saying that you have to uh, push so hard in the op- direction where your response will always be, oh, glory to God, I'm blessed, I'm, I'm above only, I'm not beneath, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm, I'm not saying that you have to do it that way. What I'm saying is, is that you have to do it in a way that's meaningful to you as, as an individual. So you have to start turning, it's like turning a ship, you don't turn it on a dime, you turn it slowly. And matter of fact that's what James also talks about it's like you know the rudder on the ship and the ship doesn't turn immediately if you've been talking in a negative sense for many years then you're going to find that you slip up quite a bit because you've you've developed a bad habit and that could be maybe you talk about politics or you talk about health or you talk about money problems or you talk about bad relationships you're going to have to find a way remember they overcame by the blood of the lamb you've already got that right if you believe and the word of your testimony, you're going to have to figure out what kind of testimony, what kind of words, what kind of, uh, of thing can I start putting in there to replace the negative? right? Because you're going to speak. Words are still going to come out of your mouth. But what are words that are going to encourage you and lift you up? So, uh, and you may have to rehearse it a few times, right? The truth. think Mentally, we rehearse bad things all the time. Boy, if, this, if this situation keeps on going in this direction, what are we going to do? Right? We, we think about it. We start talking about it. We start meditating on it. And then we take like two seconds and try and pray a positive prayer of faith. We try and ask God for help after we've been piling on negative upon negative upon negative. right? So I'm saying that what we're going to do is we're going to start piling on the the positive, And, it, and it, it's counterintuitive to our natural human nature. Right? That's why it takes some effort. That's why it takes going upstream. Will it be worth it? It will absolutely 100% be worth it. So maybe you just start saying that, hey, my marriage is blessed, even if you feel like you're lying while you're saying it. Or my finances are blessed, or my health is blessed. Maybe you start with something simple like that and you say it all day, you know? Or maybe you can't say it all day because of one reason or another, but you find a, a way. Maybe every time you go into the bathroom, you start saying, Hey, my body is blessed. Uh, My health is blessed. My teeth are blessed. My eyes are blessed. My liver is blessed in Jesus' name. And you just say something like that. Thank you, Lord, for for blessing my health. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for protecting our home. And and you begin to do this, and it becomes a a positive habit, right? to replace the negative habit. In other words, you're going to say something. So what I'm encouraging you to do is to start turning the ship and start saying something positive. When you mess up, don't get all down about it. Oh, I, this is too hard. It, it should be hard because it's different. It's kind of like writing with your left hand. That's what it'll feel like. It's not, not something that you're used to. And so you'll, it'll feel a little bit clunky at first. You'll wonder, hey, am I doing this right? It's, all this has to do is what you say and, and your hard attitude. You want to say words that please God? Do you think Jesus would talk about aches and pains, or want to talk about your aches and pains with you? He, you know, he'd know what the problem is. Let's talk about now health. Let's talk about increase. Let's talk about blessing. Right, that's the way. Um, that that's that's how you actually start from a practical standpoint. Anyway, I hope uh, this has helped you. And I really encourage you not just to forget about this two or three days from now, but really start thinking about what I've been saying, uh, because I really believe that God put this on my heart to talk to you about today and that you're listening to this for a reason. And I believe that it's come alive as it has in my own heart, even for my own life this way, because I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm like you. Um, you know, I do stupid things, but thank God I also do good things right? I say the wrong things, but thank God also I know that um, the Holy Spirit is in me to motivate me and to encourage me and to push me in the right direction. And so you have that same Spirit in you who will be helping you, motivating you, pushing you. I want you to embrace that truth. You're not alone. You're not in this alone. God's Spirit is on the inside of you to help you do this every step of the way. And call out to him. Ask him, Lord, help me talk positive positive. Help me speak blessing instead of cursing. Help me talk life instead of death. Please help me. And let's say we have six months left in 2019, right? We're in June right now. Um, to make this your experiment, so to speak. Ma- make this the a commitment that, you know what? Starting today for the rest of this year, I'm going to do what the Bible says to do. Right? This is. I'm going to have a new testimony. I'm going to have a new focus. I'm going to do it. Write it down. Journal it. However it, however you can keep this in your remembrance. Put on a piece of paper inside your Bible. Tape it to a mirror or something like that. And uh, and I'll talk about this even more in the weeks to come to keep you encouraged so that you don't forget about it. Anyway, uh, this is Jim from Faith Tested by Fire. Thank you for listening to this podcast. God bless you. Have a good rest of the week. And Uh, Lord willing, I will see you again next week.